It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter in the basement studio for the second night in a row. It is Wednesday evening, November 5th, and a lot of Illini sports to talk about. Now, I wanted to start what will be a football-heavy podcast talking about basketball because the second half podcast that I do, their shelf life is kind of contingent on the result of the game. And yesterday's game against Marquette, while it was competitive and it was close, probably left you wanting a little bit. It wasn't a game that would get you too high or too low, but I think it confirmed maybe some of our worst fears or concerns about this Illini basketball team. So we're going to start with basketball, sponsors, football, and boy was it a big football news day before we talk to Harry Black for Hanging with Harry, Illinois-Iowa preview, a monster game coming up at Kinnick Stadium. So last night, settle in for that Marquette-Illinois game, and for the most part, enjoyed what I watched. I thought that the intensity was pretty good throughout. Defensively, both teams were pretty exceptional for much of the game, the exception being that we couldn't stop Kolek, and in fairness, not many teams probably will be able to, though it felt like we were not putting up a whole lot of resistance either. But the thing that is a little bit underwhelming, almost, as I kind of reflect on yesterday's game, I'm not exactly sure how intriguing this Illinois basketball team will be. That's not to say they won't have fun moments. That's not to say they won't just be objectively good. And I think objectively they are good to pretty damn good. But we saw last night that there is a very distinct ceiling and its height is completely contingent on your fifth-year seniors. Now, Terrence Shannon got his. He did. But he had five turnovers, a couple of them when you could ill afford it. Coleman Hawkins was, on the whole, bad. And while you keep waiting for him to take that jump into some greater level of consistency, he doesn't look any different than the Coleman of sophomore and junior year, plus five turnovers. That's 10 between your two fifth-year seniors. So if this team were going to have a path towards a very good season— It was going to be based on the fact that these two guys would lead you there and that the supplemental pieces that you got in the portal, Damask, Garrier, good additions, no doubt about that. I mean, Damask was fantastic last night. And someone like Luke Goody and Ty Rogers, who on the whole had pretty good games last night. It all comes down to your fifth-year seniors. It all comes down to Terrence Shannon and Coleman Hawkins. And I guess Coleman, he's not a fifth-year, excuse me, that's a misstatement. But nonetheless, your two should be leaders. And I think Terrence is embodying that the very best he can. Coleman is not. Now, I I said this on the start of yesterday's podcast, and I'm only going to take 30 seconds to a minute because I do feel like this will probably not be the last time we address Coleman, and I also don't want to belabor the point. At a certain point, when someone tells you what they are, believe them. And we have been told time and time again through performance, through demeanor through interactions with teammates Coleman is a very mercurial figure he is someone that has a big personality and sometimes that's good sometimes that means an edge so far this season it has been a net negative what makes it all the more vexing is that he is someone that would fancy himself an NBA player and I think that the way he acts on the court is as if He's LeBron James barking out orders to the scrubs that he used to play with in the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, LeBron could get away with that because he was playing, guess what, with scrubs, and he was carrying their team. 
Coleman is doing anything but. He's hurting this team, and if that doesn't get solved, you're going to have a long year. I do think things will level out with him. I think he ultimately will be good. But any notion that you're going to get some sort of greatness or all Big Ten first team or second team from him, I just don't think that's the case. He is what he is. He's fine. But unfortunately, he's fine because he can be so up or down. And when he's down, this team is severely limited. It's weird to think that you lost a game where you still made 11 three-pointers. And you lost it by seven. You got outscored in the paint basically two to one, despite feeling like you have a pretty good front court. I'm not entirely sure what this offense is going to be this year, or what their identity's built around, but I know what we saw last night was a little bit troubling. This team is fine. They're good. They're, they're probably pretty good. But as I've said before in podcasts, the question that I think will continue to kind of bubble to the surface this year is what level of success are you okay with from Brad Underwood at Illinois? And we acknowledge that the basement or the floor has been raised immensely from what came before him. But at a certain point, when do you start, stop comparing this regime to the previous one? It is year seven. I don't know if I want to hear so much about John Gross anymore. That's kind of ancient history. And if you want to get into a mindset that you can't do better than Brad Underwood, let's say this thing kind of flatlines and it doesn't go well. I just want to caution Illini fans from thinking that, well, we probably shouldn't ask for or want anything more if he continues to lose badly in the NCAA tournament or if he stops competing for Big Ten titles. We aren't going to get that answer this year, and we probably aren't going to get that answer next year. But I do struggle sometimes for with, with trying to see what the macro kind of picture is of Illini basketball and what his vision is for it and what are we actually building. This team right now is a one-shot deal. And I think, for the most part, that will be successful in the Big Ten to the tune of a top-four finish and, let's say, a seven-seed in the NCAA tournament. But because it is a one-shot deal, if that's all you get and you get another early tournament exit, and then next year, you're presumably looking at a transitional year. Sure, you get Morris Johnson, but he's not LeBron James. You keep Ty Rogers and Luke Goody and Sincere Harris. Dane Danger, that's fine. But what do you have to really say is your foundation with this program right now? It seems to be in this weird nether region where I can't quite figure out what that is, and there's plenty of time to figure out what that is, and there's the portal, which will help you do that. But last night was just a kind of a weird viewing experience because it was all too predictable why it didn't go your way. And what makes it all the more confusing to me is why am I not really angry or sad or why am I not feeling as much? And I think that Going into the season, I did divest a little bit because I figured it was going to be much of the same in terms of wins-losses. I was going to try to enjoy the positives that this team brings that last year's team simply did not, and I do think, objectively, they are a much more likable team. And there are personalities that you can legit root for, and I can't see a personality, other than maybe Coleman, that would make it difficult for you to root for them. But I guess the overriding question is, where are we going? And what's the future of this thing? And 
right now we're going to have a four or five month season and I hope it's more fun than not. And then we got a lot of big questions to answer. And yeah, I mean, listen, Illinois basketball is relevant again, but don't get stagnant either. And that's kind of what's in the back of my mind as I watch all these games unfold. All right, so that's the basketball portion of this. And again, that was less than 10 minutes, but wanted to hit that up because I don't know how inclined people would be to go back and listen to a second half reaction where the last 10 minutes of the game were, you know, two for 16 from the field. That's not a compelling game to go back and watch or listen to the reaction from me. So let's hit the sponsors. DP Doe, I'm on at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Go online to dpdoe.com and get a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. All mine at dpdoe.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. Furnace check, scheduled, done. Furnace is purring like a kitten, ready to go. Even though it is unseasonably warm this week, it is going to be seasonably cool next week. And when we had some guests over this weekend and we got back from what turned into a chilly tailgate, we closed out Lot 31. It was so nice to come back to a home that was just mm, cozy and toasty. Thanks to our friends at Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, 217-841-4728. Also got to thank State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. All mine at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well. Now, one thing that I've mentioned before that is a really cool feature of working with State Farm, we have a new app called Ting, that's T-I-N-G. And what it does is monitor your home's electrical system. This comes free with State Farm. And for an old home like ours, it's a little bit of extra peace of mind knowing that we have something just monitoring. Are there any surges? Are there any connections that aren't great? It's just another one of just countless features that you get from an insurance company company like State Farm. And Brian is as good of an agent as you can ask for. Just, you know, he was the one that reached out to us about that and, and set it up probably within minutes. That's Brian Hansen, State Farm agent at brianismyguy.com. And finally, Owen Builders LLC. I'm on at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke Owen and his staff, great craftsmen. They specialize in patios, decks, home additions. You can check out a gallery of their work online at owenbuildersllc.com. And one thing I really want to emphasize with them is just how good they are at communication. If you've worked with contractors before, you know that can be hit or miss. Not with Luke and Owen Builders LLC. They are tremendous at getting back to you, being timely, having an open line of communication. That is half the battle when you've got projects to work on at home. OwenBuildersLLC.com. Got to thank Champagne Showers Podcast Network and, of course, you, the listener, and the YouTube viewer and all that. Any ratings and reviews and likes and follows are a big help for the podcast. Let's switch gears to what your minds are thinking about. Illinois football. I mean, it's weird that on November 15th, when a month ago, actually, I guess a month ago was the day after you beat Maryland. So a month ago, you were three and four and starting to think, well, if you beat Wisconsin, but then you lost Wisconsin, you were three and five. But then you get a bye week, then you beat Minnesota, you're four and five. You beat Indiana in thrilling fashion, five to five. So two straight last second wins. Thanks to John Paddock of course. And Luke Altmeyer was tremendous in the first half of the Minnesota game. Now you have Iowa. Now, before I get to the elephant in the room, which is the quarterback controversy, and a good quarterback controversy to have, mind you, it sounds like Cooper DeJean, Cooper DeJean, Cooper DeJean, I think it's the latter. Anyways, the best player on Iowa. Kick and punt return extraordinaire, excellent defensive player, 
up for National Player of the Year awards for defense, along with Johnny Newton. I think it's the, I forget what the name of the award is, but Nagurski Award, the Bronco Nagurski Award. Johnny Newton, one of five finalists along with Cooper DeGene. Well, Cooper DeGene is out for the rest of the regular season. These rumors were starting to go around this afternoon. And then the news is, well, as of the time of recording has not officially come from Iowa, David Eicholt, who is the big beat reporter up there, did confirm it. And this is massive. It is massive for Saturday because you're looking at an Iowa team that specializes in defense and special teams. Part of that special team's excellence, part of that defensive excellence, and a big part of it on both is Cooper DeGene's play. They are a controversial fair catch call away from being 9-1. and one. I mean, his return against Minnesota would have won that game, and you can say what you want about that play, but it could have been called either way. This kid's special, and he won't be on the field against you. I saw someone put this perfectly on Illinois loyalty, the message board, that I lurk sometimes. You feel bad that the kid's hurt. Right, You feel bad for him as a person. But just like last night, we saw the effect that Kolek had from Mar- Marquette. All I care about is winning this game. And of course, doing it fairly, fair and square. But football, injuries are part of the game. This is an absolutely crushing one for Iowa. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. And it does seem if you happen to get Iowa in a hole, what so often would happen with them is a special teams or defensive score. And Cooper DeGene was at the center of many of those. You take that kind of dynamic playmaker out of it, that changes things. We saw when Johnny Newton went out of the Wisconsin game in the second half. It changed things. It it was completely different in the first half against Minnesota as well. One player, even on a good defense, even on an elite defense, which I think is fair to call Iowa, that's massive. So let's start with that and say that for a game that I already thought was bordering on a coin flip, I think that is huge. Not I think. It is objectively huge. Now, Illinois, on that side, the quarterback controversy. I want to make sure that I get this right here because Brett Bielema was on a radio show today. I'm going to go back to Jeremy Warner's profile here because he was able to contextualize it a little bit. But Brett Bielema was on, what the heck was this show? Internet's loading here. I apologize for this. (laughs) Sirius XM's Big Ten Radio. Now, the initial tweet from Matt Schick from ESPN said that QB Luke Altmaier has been cleared to play and will start at Iowa Saturday. That's not what Brett Bielema said. And I think our reactions today when the news came out were based on the notion that he came out and said, Luke Altmaier will start Saturday. He did not say that. Here's what Brett Bielema said. As of yesterday, this is a quote, as of yesterday, Luke has been totally cleared to play. Because of that, he is our starting quarterback before he left. And that's where I sort of see it now. If there's any part of that that gets gray, we have a guy that has proven he can play. That's not confirmation. I understand why it was read as such. Now, as Jeremy put it, Bielema talks at local media again Thursday. So when you listen to this, it might be before or after he speaks with Jeremy and Joey and any of the other crew that goes to talk with them. 
Jeremy continues, he said starters don't lose jobs to injury on Monday, but he's leaving an out here. He rarely telegraphs personnel matters to the opponents. Exactly. Why would he do this? As me and Trevor and Isaac were texting today and trying to parse through this because, hey, it's a big game coming up. And here we are actually paying attention to press clippings and getting excited for the matchup. Trevor was wholly unconvinced that this makes any sense. And I would tend to agree with him. Why would Brett Bielema, of all people, go on a radio show that he's never been on before that we know of? Just to make the announcement that, oh yeah, Luke Altmyers our starting quarterback. Why would he do that? It sounds conspiratorial, but <laughs> this is gamesmanship. Now, I don't know who the starter is going to be. I still have an idea it's going to be John Paddock, I would imagine. And that this is just telegraphing uh, some mixed signals over to the Iowa coaching staff. And it is forcing them to prepare for both, which, hey, they were probably going to do anyway. But this is forcing them to do that. Now, to make things even more fun, and this is what cracks me up, I think, I think Brett is, <laughs> he's enjoying this quarterback controversy. He's enjoying it. How do I know? Because at 5.00, oh God, what time was this? 4.22 p.m. Central on Wednesday, he retweets a Big Ten football tweet where I think John Booty was the guy's name, former Michigan player. He walked through the walk-off Illinois football touchdown from John Paddock to Isaiah Williams. And Brett Bielema retweets this with the text, best is yet to come, hashtag family, hashtag ILL. As Trevor said in our thread, why is Brett Bielma going to retweet John Paddock to Isaiah Williams if John Paddock is not starting on Saturday? It's gamesmanship. We don't know who's going to start. I, I sit here in my gut thinking it's John Paddock, but we're, we're all guessing. And we're, we're all going to be guessing until Saturday at 2.30 Central. Because the injury report is not going to list Luke Altmaier or John Paddock. And they don't have to tell us who the starting quarterback is going to be. They just need to tell us who's out. That's an injury report you'll get, what, an hour, hour and a half before the game. Neither name will be on it, so we won't have any clarification until Illinois hits the field. I'm kind of excited to see how Brett Bielema talks around this on Thursday when he meets with the media. Because God knows he's going to talk around it and just be very elusive and reiterate that Traditionally, under him, people do not lose their jobs because of injury. He's going to reiterate that. But I would be shocked if he outright says Luke Altmaier is starting Saturday. I would be shocked. Understandably, this caused a bit of an uproar. We know what the fan base is, is hoping for. And I don't think it's unjustifiable to think that, yeah, John Paddock might give us the best chance because we're seeing something that's crazy. And this is acknowledging that Indiana's defense is not great because they aren't. But he put up numbers twice the likes of uh, Kyle McCord, for example, or the plumber kid that plays for Louisville. You know, these, they played good quarterbacks. Indiana's defense has played good quarterbacks and done okay against them, certainly better than they did against John Paddock. That was something different and something special that we saw Saturday, regardless of the fact that Indiana is not Michigan and they are not Ohio State. You don't just do that unless you're on some kind of heater. So it's kind of fun to just think, all right, well, who's going to be the starter? I know this much, though. 
if you tell me right now, given the fact that Cooper DeGene is out, which I think is huge again, that John Paddock is starting for Illinois Saturday, I tell you, yeah, I think we win. And in fairness to Luke Altmaier, I still think that you have a pretty good chance with Luke. Now, let's say hypothetically you play Luke Altmaier instead. I don't feel quite as good about it because he's coming off a concussion, and even if he's cleared, he's going to be facing an absolutely brutal defense. And not brutal as in bad, but a defense that can knock you around a little bit. And if he gets any sort of deer in headlights look, it's over, right? I mean, you might as well just get him off the field. And maybe that's the plan. Let's see how effective Luke is. And if he's not that effective, we can just chalk it up to concussion. But if he is announced as the starter, or if he just comes out and starts, because I don't know if they're going to officially announce it, then there is some sort of clarity that comes with that. The clarity being Brett Bielema saying, this is my quarterback, and me and him are going to be the biggest reasons why we do or do not make a bowl game. We know Northwestern is going to be tougher than we thought. I still think that's a game you win. But if you lose to Iowa, you're going to be puckering up a little bit as a fan, thinking, for the love of God, don't lose to Northwestern. And it's a possibility. So if Brett Bielema is going to hitch his wagon, truly, hitch his wagon back to Luke Altmaier after what we saw from John Paddock and after Luke Altmaier suffered a concussion and after ball security issues were the one really remaining bugaboo for Luke because I thought he was playing really well those games before that. But he wasn't playing John Paddock versus Indiana well, and that is what I understand makes the decision tough because it's such a small sample size for John, but also acknowledging that you have your quarterback for the next two years at least with Luke Altmaier and can you really set him if he's healthy? Listen, that's why Bielema's is getting paid the big bucks. But as Jay Lehman said, and I thought said it perfectly on his podcast Monday with Jeremy, winning the next two games is more important than appeasing any quarterback on the roster. And that is 100% true. Now, I don't think Luke Altmaier would be the kind of guy that cuts and runs because John Paddock ends up finishing out the regular season. I don't think that's necessarily the case. There's no indication that Luke is a bad teammate or a prima donna or anything like that. None. Plus, he's probably going to get paid fairly well next year. So, while I don't foresee that happening, if that were even a consideration, that still doesn't change my formula here. That doesn't change my decision as to who starts. Like I said Sunday, don't overthink it. Start John Paddock. I think most would agree with that. And this gamesmanship right now, in a weird way, as the days went on, and I've tried to kind of think, okay, wait, what, is, what is Brett Bielma actually saying here? It leads me to believe that that's exactly what will happen. But we shall see. What fun. We're sitting here, 5-5, five and five, a win away from a bowl game, with a legit chance to win at Iowa. Three and a half point favorites. We'll see if that spread moves without Cooper DeGene. I know that Iowa's offense got moving a little bit better in the second half against Rutgers. But your defense is healthy. Your secondary does not have to account for really good tight ends because the two best tight ends for Iowa are out. Cade McNamara has been out for a while. And now Cooper DeGene. So these are big injuries. And one thing I want to also take a look at with Iowa, I need to do this right now, and I know it's sort of just parsing through final scores and trying to draw conclusions from it, but if you were to ask yourself who has Iowa beat, who has their defense dominated? So here's the recent stretch. I'm going to start with most recent and work my way back. Rutgers, 
They won 22 to nothing. They gave up 127 total yards to Rutgers. Now, Rutgers offense, by no means a juggernaut, though they've been improved this year. I mean, that's a 6-4 and four football team over there that was able to put up 31 against Indiana, 0 against Iowa. We put up 48 against Indiana, so what does that mean? We're 17 points better? Maybe that means 17 points for Illinois against Iowa. That, that would give you a chance to win. A Rutgers team that scored 27 against Michigan State, only 13 at Wisconsin, only 7 against Michigan. So can we take away much from that? shut out at Iowa City. Well, yeah, you can take away that Iowa's defense is really damn good. I just don't know how good Rutgers offense is. Northwestern at Wrigley Field, 10 to 7 win for Iowa. Northwestern total yardage 170, Iowa 169. Jesus Christ, that's so bad. We had more yardage than that combined in the first half against Indiana. Okay, Minnesota where you lost 10 to tw- uh, yeah, 10 to 12 and Total yards, Minnesota outgained Iowa 239 to 127. I think that is something that you could look at and say, hey, Iowa, or Minnesota rather, was able to run a pretty balanced offense, granted only 239 total yards, but get over 113 yards. That was 113 yards receipt rushing, excuse me, I can't talk. And they didn't turn the ball over. That gave them an opportunity to win that game, and they did. Let's see, Wisconsin scored six. Purdue scored 14. How many yards? Let's see, Purdue gained 343 yards at Iowa. They just turned the ball over twice, right? All that is to say, you know, I could look at this and say, well, who was Iowa beat? And and the answer, honestly, is no one that great. I don't think Illinois is great, but I think they're in an interesting position now where the offense is playing at a pretty good level. And... I'm looking at the last four games and saying, hey, that, that's a pretty good Illinois offense. The numbers would bear that out. And that the defense <laughs> was really bad against Indiana and not so great against Wisconsin late. But there's been signs, when healthy, and with Johnny Newton being Johnny Newton, that you can control bad offenses. Soresby and Indiana's offense, a Soresby-McCauley connection is not anything the likes of which you will see on Saturday. The concern, though, was that Indiana was able to get the run game going a little bit against Illinois. And I do think that Iowa could do the same. Iowa's going to play close to the best. They are. I don't know how much they're going to attack even a bad Illinois secondary because I don't think they trust their quarterback that much, and that's just not really their style. But I think they're going to look at the fact that Indiana gashed Illinois a few times, more than a few times, and use that as, hey, let's just do that. And that could be enough for Iowa to win. Now, as I talk to Harry, we'll, we'll wait and give our predictions at the end of it. But I did tell Harry last week, I think Illinois wins out. Now, the, uh, the Indiana game was a little bit close for comfort, of course. And not at all how I expected that game to go. I think I predicted 27 to 20, right? Thinking that, you know, regardless of who starts... Your offense is starting to cook a little bit, and I think the defense being healthy was going to do better against Indiana. That was not the case. I would like to think, though, that you just have more dynamic playmakers on offense. And regardless of Iowa being an elite defense, listen, this late in the year, it just comes down to who can make a play. You took out Iowa's biggest playmaker on special teams and defense. You negate him. And that's one of the very few weapons that they had. Illinois still has a handful. We'll see how that translates against an Iowa defense that the numbers are pretty scary good. They are. But what the heck? I mean, you win this game, you're feeling great. 
and a chance to go seven and five at home against Northwestern. Seven and five under any circumstances would have been considered a good year. That's a follow up right there. But considering you started two and four, all the more remarkable if they can somehow win five of their last six. And if that does happen, you're a Nebraska win over Iowa away from making the Big Ten title game. But you know what? That's all I'm going to say about that. I think Harry wanted to talk a little bit more about that, so I'll let him go through scenarios for fun. My mind is on one thing. Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. Beat freaking Iowa for the second year in a row. How sweet would that be? So let's get to it. My good friend, Harry Black. Harry, let's start with the question that's on everyone's mind. We got a controversy in Champaign. Yeah. Caleb Griffin or David Alano, what would you do? I'll tell you what, man, when you got two guys that can really boot it out there, <laughs> no, I, I know exactly I know exactly where you're going. I mean, it, I was I was more obviously invested by more personal stake the last time anything even close to this came about with I guess what would have been Wes and um Wes and Riley. Um, but you you can tell me this is this I think like is a little bit more people invested in like, you know, who's got to be the guy, right? Because then you were kind of scrapping for a bowl game. You were seeing if you can maybe sneak in and get those six wins in those last two weeks. This one, it feels like it it means a little bit more just because if you are able to get one of these last two at least, I mean, that's two bowl games in a row for Illinois. I don't care what you say. That's big. You know, and, and this is like the floor. This is the floor that we were hoping for. And I mean, after last year, you say that you have a down year next year and you still make a bowl game. You're going to take that as an Illini fan. And I mean, God, I mean, if, if you ask me right now, I think I I think you have to go with with Paddock. I mean, I it, it's a weird situation because if you had won that game and he kind of he was kind of playing the role of an Artsikowski. And just kind of like manning the ship as you get through that game and you win it ugly, maybe like 20 to 14. Then you go back to Luke. When you have a guy come out after a heroic game-winning touchdown drive where he was perfect, and then the next game he's virtually perfect minus one mistake on the interception and sets a stadium record. Five, I, I didn't even know if it was. I didn't know if it was a, of a school record. I, I now know that it wasn't. Um, but over 500 yards, man, I don't care like who you're playing. If you're playing a power five school, that's, that's an insane, that's insane stat. So, I mean, I think right now, and plus, since this is, there's no, there's not going to be any controversy next year. Luke's got plenty of years to go. And this is the last couple weeks for, for Paddock. I think you have to go with him. I want to ask you about what you saw Saturday. Cause I will say from the stands, we knew maybe midway through the second quarter that this was different. It was a 27 to 12 game, at which point it looked, oh boy, we might get blown off the field here. And then Paddock, who had already shown a few throws earlier, just went nuts. And that is thanks, of course, to great receiving core, Reggie Love, sneaky great game, which opened up all the passing lanes because of how effectively you were running it. But 20 yarder after 20 yarder, literally averaging 20 yards per reception. That's how good this passing game was, albeit, yes, Indiana. But from the stands, it felt like we were watching something special. From your perspective, having seen it on TV, and honestly, probably a better vantage point of you know the plays as they were unfolding, 
what was the most impressive thing to you outside of just the sheer statistical brilliance of it? I think one play that kind of encapsulates, um, you know, where I'm going to focus on is the offensive line. Um, that's just, you know, nature of how I look at how I look at the game. And the one play that encapsulates the, um, I guess, maybe the growth that they've had because they were not looking good earlier on this season. On the Reggie Love, I think it was 37-yard touchdown run that I believe puts you up, what would that have been, like 39 to 27, I believe it was. And after you, when he was at the line of scrimmage, I saw the blocks kind of taking place as he's running out to the right. Before he even cuts up, cuts up field, I'm watching the game on my phone, and I just say out loud to myself, touchdown. Because you could see the blocks forming. And to kind of see that your guys are getting to their second level defenders and making these blocks and springing these big runs. I mean, that was the most impressive thing that I saw the other day, because we can talk about, uh, we can talk about Paddock, you know, what hasn't been said. Um, Isaiah Williams with, I think what do you have? 200 receiving yards, something insane like that. Um, Brian had a couple big catches. Casey Washington had, you know, a touchdown in the first half. I, I couldn't who was who was it who had that catch late in the game, one foot bent at like a ninety degree angle, falling backwards out of bounds. I I mean when, that was Ashton he, Ashton Hollins who came in for Bryant and had three catches for forty six yards. Yeah, Hollins yeah. with arguably one of the most impressive catches of the day, probably the most impressive catch just athletically. And what what you can kind of tell you know, aside from what I was talking about with the offensive line, is just every time the ball left Paddock's hands, it seemed like it was softly placed in, like, whoever receiver, you know, whoever he was going to. You know, it didn't look like he was maybe straining for anything. It just kind of looked almost effortless. And I, I don't know, like, what that says about how he's throwing it, maybe, or maybe, you know, if, if, um, if maybe that's just a credit to a bad Indiana secondary, but you did see that not only i mean when you're putting up 500 yards through the air it's it's it, you're it's you're probably going to be doing it doing so making it look easy and that's what he was doing yeah it did look effortless and i also agree that there's the softness to his throws that it, it seems the old adage he throws a catchable ball and it really does seem that way and i think luke actually does too i think they both have really good touch on their passes so today i want to read you this quote from Brett Bielema and I know that the the general consensus was that Brett Bielma came out and he said, Luke Altmyers are a starter. He did not say that. I want to read to you exactly what he said and get your take on what this means. Is it gamesmanship, et cetera? By the he way, said, quote, by the way oh, there's yeah. going to be a, a live reaction to this because I don't know this quote yet. Okay, so this was on Sirius XM's Big Ten Radio. And the quote was, as of yesterday, Luke has been totally cleared to play. Because of that, he is our starting quarterback before he left. And that's where I sort of see it now. If there's any part of that that gets gray, we have a guy that has proven he can play. Sounds like a poem. Kind of rhymed there at the end. But I, as the days went on, just to give you a little more context, Harry, about an hour and a half ago as we record this, Brett Bielema retweeted a Big Ten Network tweet uh, a paddock to Williams and their amazing connection with the text, the best is yet to come, hashtag family, hashtag ILL, of a John Paddock, Isaiah Williams thing. Yeah. Does this scream gamesmanship to you? Uh, 
man. I, I, I think that's that's him kind of – he knows how to work social media, or at least, you know, he's very active on social media. I mean, the, the, the poem – the poem – the statement he had on Big Ten Radio, that does sound like some – that's not a definitive John Paddock – or not John Paddock, uh, Luke Altmaier will be starting this Saturday. That's not what that sounds like to me. That sounds like – that it's coach speak because the fact that he said – he has been cleared, and he is our starting quarterback before the injury. I mean, well, obviously that was the case. So, I mean, you're basically just saying you're, you're telling us nothing new. And you, I, here's the fact of the matter. He's not going to say who's the starting quarterback until the very last second that he needs to because, because think about it. You have two kind of different – types of quarterback you have more of a pocket passer in in a paddock and more of a guy who has a little bit more mobility and maybe more of a gunslinger in luke and you're not going to want to let iowa know who they're going to go up against especially with the uh the ability that that defense has it's a good defense so i i mean the the the, the radio appearance i see that as him just having fun and then the liking of a tweet or the retweeting of a tweet that's that's cheeky. That's the be- that's the term that comes to my mind. Yeah, it's a fun cheeky when you're when you're five and five and starting to win games against like ah, that's our old breath. Yeah. Now, I, I was thinking about this, and you know when I when I look at this game and try to think about the advantages here, I want to ask you what you think is the bigger advantage against this Iowa defense. The two options here are the mobility that Luke Altmaier brings. The second option is the relatively quicker release of a John Paddock because as far as time behind that line there's about 0.15 I think PFF did this I want to say Paddock is about 2.5 and Altmaier is closer to 2.7 in terms of how long it takes to get the ball out now granted the offensive line if they'd played that well all season for Luke Altmaier I think Luke Altmaier would have had an even better year and he's been pretty good but what do you think is more valuable the ability to run or the ability to make quick reads against this Iowa defense I mean, I think it's got to be the ability to get rid of the ball quicker because you think about mobile quarterbacks who are able to move around to maybe evade pressure. Yeah, they make it look spectacular. But, I mean, who do you who do you think's got sacked more times in their career, uh, Michael Vick or Drew Brees? Because I don't see anyone get rid of the ball faster than Drew Brees, and he's never on the ground. Michael Vick, I think, had multiple years where he was the most sacked quarterback in the entire NFL. So Luke will make it look more extraordinary. He'll get away from a couple sacks that maybe Paddock wouldn't. But at the end of the day, the ball's already out of there. Doesn't matter. You know, I was watching the, um, well, actually, heck, the game on Saturday. I thought that the reason that Soresby was so effective was the same thing. He was getting it out relatively quickly and negating your strength on offense. Now, I want to switch to the defense because, you know, the Paddock talk and all of that has been understandably the thing for the last four or five days. But the defense, there are concerns, okay? There are major concerns from what we saw in the Indiana win, as thrilling as that was. And part of what I thought was effective for Indiana was that Soresby got it out quick, negating the pass rush and really nullifying what a Johnny Newton could do, and your secondary was really dropping the ball. Do you feel more optimistic? Because I do think Soresby is a quarterback that's on the up, and McCauley's just a bad matchup in terms of size. Do you think we see more of a second half against Minnesota type of performance from this defense against Iowa, or can even a bad Iowa offense exploit when Indiana was exploiting? Well, first off, I mean, that guy McCauley, my God, you, you knew where the ball was going every single time they dropped back to pass. You almost 
you know, exhaled every time they decided to run the ball because you knew it was an automatic first down. Whether and it was they ran it well, Harry, they ran it well. And that concerns me for Saturday too. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Iowa, I mean, what can be said about Iowa's offense that hasn't already been said? I The way I think that this game, if you play it like you did second half Minnesota, I think you have a real chance to win this game. Now, the way I see it going, maybe not as many points and at maybe exactly the same production because, you know, you usually don't see 0, zero 3 and then 19 point-wise, which is what Iowa did against Rutgers last week. But I could see a very similar game in that, you know, no points in the first quarter, maybe a touchdown, then maybe a field goal in the third quarter, and maybe another field goal or another touchdown or something like that in the fourth. I don't think that I was going to break 20, but I don't know if they need to, because as good as we looked last week with this offense, I mean, that was against an Indiana defense that I don't think is world beaters. We know that that's, they're probably going to regress a little bit to the means. I think that this game basically boils down more so to what your defense is able to do than what your offense is able to do. Because I, we're going to score probably around 10, 13 points. But their offense is so atrocious that if your defense can just step up a little bit, man. I mean, if you're, if you're able to play them, like you said, the way you played Minnesota, that might be enough. But if you play the way that you played against Indiana, I don't think Iowa's going to put up 45 points. They'll probably put up maybe 20. But like I said, that defense is just so good that that I, I think you need a, an A-plus, not an A-plus. I think you need a B-plus performance from your defense if you want to be able to get this win. Yeah, and the thing is there's no common opponent here. We can't say, well, how did Iowa do against Indiana? Because they didn't play. I was looking at Rutgers against Iowa, and they obviously got shut out. Rutgers put up 31 against Indiana. So, listen, we know Indiana's defense is not good. You were fantastic offensively, and that is kudos to Lunny and and the team because that was a perfect game plan, executed to perfection. But, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about too, Harry, because it was the secondary that concerned me the most. The smaller guys back there struggled mightily against McCauley. Uh, This is more to do with Taz. And discipline, which has been a problem for not just Taz, but the defense as a whole, way too many penalties. What what do you do if you're a coaching staff, given the nature of a game like football, when you have a player spit on somebody? My, my thing, Harry, that was tricky, I didn't want to make too big of a deal about it, but it's not cool. <laughs> like no. it's, it's Bush League, so what what do you do then do you discipline from within, or do you just move on and say, well, the penalty was the penalty, he was kicked out of the game, and the punishment has been meted? You know, I mean, I've had I've had instances, more so in high school, where, uh, where guys on the team maybe did something, you know, a little extracurricular like that. And it's weird. It's right. It's, it's weird. It's if you pull a face mask or you shove someone after a play in the heat of playing, you know, coach will get in your face and, you know, tell you, you know, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. He might even make you do some push-ups on the sideline or, or, you know, up downs at, you know, at the practice on Monday. Um, If when you do something like spits in someone's face or something off the field, that's when you have to – that's almost like the old saying of, you know, don't worry about when your coach is yelling at you. Worry when he's not. Because in that situation, 
if I were a coach, now I don't know if this is what Brett's going to do or I don't know if this is what a coach would do. If I was the coach in that situation, I'd just sit down with the guy and say, listen, you do that again, you're off the team. You know, right now, I'm not putting that guy back out there for, I, I mean, maybe the first half. Um, I mean, because that that's a thing, man, that it's so tough because it 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 goes beyond the game. That's that's a character thing right there. If you're spitting in someone's face, that has to be dealt with. You need to sell, tell someone you need to show them that there have to be realistic repercussions for that. You, you know, I don't care who we're playing this week. I don't care how big the game is. You do that. That's not what we're about. You can't you can't be a part of this. So I, I think that this has to be a situation where it absolutely goes beyond what uh, whatever penalty it might be or um, or whatever immediate maybe if he's ejected there. I think it goes beyond um, I think it goes goes beyond just the immediate effect. I mean, Harry, the penalties were why that game was so close. When, when you looked yeah. at the box score and you saw that you had 650 and they had, I think, 400 and. 25, 450 yards themselves. Yeah, that's that's not a good defensive performance. When you add 140 penalty yards, it's basically a wash. So no wonder it went to overtime. And we know it would be more than obvious to say, well, you can't do that against Iowa. I don't think you can have more than five penalties against Iowa. So how how does a team address that after a messy game? And sometimes I'm sure messy games just happen and they kind of get away from you. And it got chippy on Saturday, but... Is there such a thing as cleaning that up, or is it literally a play-by-play basis where you just have to be honed in on everything? I mean, the way that <laughs> the way I kind of just hinted at it a little bit, the way that my coaches would take care of it in high school and in college would be the first practice after um, after that game, where he would say, "All right, we had." Five penalties for 45 yards, get them chopping. We'd have to do 45 up-downs at the beginning of practice. Obviously, when you get to the point where you had a, a game of over 100 penalty yards, you are dead before you even have to go out to practice. <laughs> so that that's kind of the way. I think you you have to address it, right? You can't just say – you can't just point it out in the um, – you can't just point it out in, in the film study, you can't just point it out during practice or during uh, or during a scrimmage of practice because at that point, you know, someone says, "All right, you know, keep your you know your coach says keep your hands inside." You'll be like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, you're not even thinking. You're just trying to survive. You're just trying to get the play done, get to the next play. Hey, it's practice. There's no penalties. the The way that I think two ways they should go about it would be a that external uh, motivation of oh god i don't want to have to do x amount of up downs on monday after this but then what we were doing uh, when i was there is we had a big ten official at our uh, at our practices and what that would do would be you know he would literally tell us when we were holding when uh you know defensive pass interference offensive any of that stuff illegal formation you know offsides false start everything we had someone there to let us know what we could and what we couldn't do, you know, and it's a little bit easier when, you know, obviously it's easier because when you go through a practice with no official and you're just kind of depending on your coaches telling you what to do in film study after the fact, it doesn't set in as immediately as it does when you're playing a game. So hopefully they have some guys there coaching them up, you know, Telling them, yeah, that's not a great play that you just made. I don't care. You got to the quarterback. You uh, you put your hands in the in the center's face. That's a penalty. Um, that that's how I would probably address it. You know, at practice going forward um, after a game like that. One thing I I didn't want to miss in talking about this team, and I think I talked about it Sunday a little bit, but 
resiliency, which is a buzzword for sports, I understand. This team was 2-4. and four. So a month ago was October 15th. We'd have to go back to October 14th, the day that they played Maryland. 2-4, and four, dead in the water. I was in Vegas trying to find any sports book so I could put 50 bucks on Maryland minus 13 and a half because I thought that was easy money. Did not find a sports book in time to do it. And I said, eh, probably for the best. I don't like necessarily rooting or betting against Illinois. And then they win that game, Harry. And then after losing to Wisconsin, which was a devastating loss, going into a bye week, no less. I mean, what a bummer buzzkill to go into that. And then you went on the road against Minnesota, and I think outplayed them for most of the game. Same with Indiana. I think you outplayed them most of the game. You just let it get a little too close for comfort. What does it say about a team, despite the messiness and despite the flaws, that they didn't just go the way that many Illinois teams do when they're two and four and have tough games coming up? It, it is. I mean... <laughs> It's something that you can't really coach, and it's something that, you know, as you're moving forward, you're not going to look back at this season as one of the years where, you know, hey, Illinois had this great run. And, you know, like last year, we started 7-1, and we got up to, what, 16th in the country? That's insane for Illinois. That doesn't happen. It was an amazing year. But this year is going to be the one where hopefully, you know, you finish with that or with whatever, 5, 6, 7, 8, right? All possible, you know, uh, win X uh, totals at the end. It doesn't matter really when you're looking back. What's going to matter is how you won some of these games is so much different than maybe how you did last year or how we've done in the past. 2000 and, uh, 2014, when we made the bowl game, we beat Minnesota. You know, we got up big early and then we had a defensive score late. There was no real... There was no real drive. There was no comeback. There was no back and forth. Um, Penn State, you're able to drive down late in the game, but that one was kind of a slug, uh, slug fest, just a slog. It was an ugly day. I remember it being really windy. And, you know, Northwestern, you go out there and you kill them. This year, so many of the wins, I think most of the wins, aside from FAU, have been you have to do something late. Toledo, you had to kick a late field goal. Maryland, you needed the late field goal. Um, let's see who's um, going back now. Indiana, Minnesota. obviously, Minnesota, obviously the, the way you're winning these games, it's instilling in these guys who are going to be here after this year. It doesn't matter what the situation looks like. We know we've seen us win these games before. If we're playing Iowa this week and we're down 20 to 15 late in the game, knowing that you need a touchdown with a minute left, everyone on that field is going to think we can do this because we just saw this team do it two weeks ago. So I think that's so much different than when you're going into a situation um, even if you have a similar win total, hey, we need to go score a touchdown. Like, what was it, 2015, I remember, we were playing Nebraska in Lincoln. We should have won that game. I think they scored a touchdown late to go up by one score. And even though we had been leading the whole game, there was no real sense of, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to go out there. We've been leading. We're going to be able to take the lead back and we're able to win this game. This team, you can't say that because we've seen now on four different occasions, this team is able to either come, yeah, come from behind and or come from a tie game and able to win the game on the last drive of the game. That's something that that I think is not really you can teach. It's something that a team just has. And if they have that attribute this season, you carry that into uh, into the offseason with new guys and older guys on this team that have experienced it. I think that's going to be a great experience to have. 
I remember that Nebraska game, 2016, I think, leading into the fourth quarter. And the, was it Aaron Bailey was quarterback that game? 20, yeah, it would have been 2016 because 2015 you won. 2016 it was uh, it was Wes Lunt was the uh, was the quarterback of that game. Who was I, think, running I think Reggie Corbin. I think what would you say? Reggie Corbin at running back that that day. Yeah, I mean, I, believe, yeah. I believe so because I think I think 15 was um, I think that was Kendrick Foster was your was yes. your main guy. That's right. And I think uh, and I think Aaron left after the 2015 season. If I recall, because I think Wes, I'm pretty sure Wes was your was your quarterback for uh, for the 2016 season. So as we look forward, I know that it would be. I, I want to go. Oh, should we do the Iowa prediction or should we predict how the rest of this year is going to shake out? Because I know it is kind of a futile endeavor, but it's fun. What the hell? It's a sports yeah. podcast, so I don't I don't have a problem with it. Should we start with the Iowa game? Yeah. Now, I, I do want to point out, and I did in the opening segment, or the main segment before you came on about this game, Cooper DeGene being out is massive. This is someone that can return any punter kick that he gets his hands on. This is their best defender on an elite defense. He is dynamic, and I don't think it's akin to Illinois losing Johnny Newton for the second or the fourth quarter against Wisconsin because the rest of Illinois' defense is eh, whatever. Iowa's got plenty of great defenders, but I, I do think it matters when you lose someone that big. I think that plays a role into what our predictions will be. But I wanted to start with you. Uh, I, I get the feeling we have the same gut feeling. And while earlier this year, let's say before the Purdue game, a lot of our predictions were based on, well, they're, they're bound to turn it around. I think we're at a different place now in, in terms of how we're making this prediction. And it might be based on truly what we've seen as opposed to what we hope we might see. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, at this point, you're going based off you have a, a larger sample size uh, of this season itself, as opposed to at the beginning of the year, you were saying, well, this team is still similar to the team we had last year, and we're just waiting for that team to show up again. By the way, Cooper DeGene's not going to be playing, but his is uh, his brother, Cooper DeShorts. I heard he's getting the start. And, uh, you Cooper know, the kid, he's a spry kid. He can really move out there. He's got <laughs> he's got length. He's got he's got the speed, too. I, you know, don't sell Cooper to short. I like how his brother has a different last name. <laughs> but the same for, it's obviously I think it isn't the Chinese language often when we see their names like Yao Ming. I think his yeah. first name is Ming or something like that, because the back of his jersey says, yeah, we're like, how does that work? Yeah, that the one I always think of is in uh, is in Mulan. They call her Fa Mulan. Her last name is Mulan, and the family's name is the is the Fa's. Okay, got it. So uh, Cooper DeShorts, yes, he's still going to suit up, and uh, Cooper DeCax is uh, the managing uh, equipment manager, and he's a great kid by all accounts. You got to look out but, for Cooper the Gloves, man. That kid, you know, Cooper Gloves. <laughs> Cooper the Gloves. Yeah, you know, it's going to be cold out there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, the good news is, kind of like last week against Indiana, the weather's not a factor. I, I We've had a weird thing about bad weather, windy weather days with Illinois under Brett Bielman. You wouldn't think it'd be that case, but wind, not good. I think from what I can tell, it's going to be just a mild, no issues, and I like that. So going into this game, considering Cooper DeGene being out, considering we don't know who the quarterback is, but we each have a hunch as to what it may be. Um, and actually, hell, you could throw out a prediction for depending on who starts a quarterback, if you think that would make a difference. I, I don't – I hate to say this, but my gut feeling – and this doesn't mean I'll be shocked one way or the other, 
And of course, I'm going to be rooting my heart out. But I look at this game and I keep coming back to I see in this game being a like a 23-13, like a or maybe no, because that would mean they score some points like a 2010, like a 17-7 or something where you lose by two scores. You're always kind of hanging around there. But this defense, man, this defense is too good. I mean, as as bad as their offense has been, the only laps they've really had defensively was against a top 10 team in Penn State. And I, I don't care what you say about how their offense has looked against the likes of Ohio State and Michigan. They're still, when they're playing at Happy Valley, they're a damn good team. And, you know, I, I just – that's the only time you've seen a hiccup from Iowa and the offense is going to be what it is. Your defense has shown cracks. If your defense shows up, you have a real shot at winning this game. If your defense shows up and plays their best game, I think you can win this game. Something like something like 14 to 13, but I think otherwise you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time moving the ball. And, um, and I could see it coming down to an explosive play one way or the other. Because neither one of these teams is going to be able, or Iowa isn't going to be able to sustainably move the ball because their offense is so bad. And our offense, I don't think, is going to be able to consistently drive the ball because their defense is so good. So what it's going to come down to is can Isaiah break one? Or, you know, is or is Iowa going to have some, you know, I always feel like they have like a punt return, whether it's called off or if it's against us, uh, that kind of turns the tide of the game. So I'm going to go... Official guess I'll say is uh, is seventeen to seventeen to ten Iowa. Okay, cool. Um, I I'm I'm bullish on this, and you remember last week I said if if they beat Indiana, I think they win out, right? Yeah. And well, bold predictions are just what they are. If they don't happen, you can just say, oh, it was a prediction. But the Cooper DeGene thing to me lessens my concern about whatever does happen at quarterback. Now, I do think if you tell me I wake up Saturday and find out John Paddock starting, I'm riding that magical carpet ride and saying, yeah, you're going to get the win because John Paddock, and I wouldn't need to explain anything else because this kid's on some kind of heater. Still think you can win with Luke Altmaier. Uh, imagine last year if Devin Witherspoon goes out. Number one scoring defense in the nation. And eventually cracks will show. And if Devin Witherspoon, you take him out of the picture, I don't care who you put in there. It, that's just one less guy to worry about. And for an offense that's kind of cooking for Illinois, was cooking for the first three quarters against Minnesota, the first three quarters against Wisconsin, starting to develop consistency regardless of quarterback. I think Illinois wins 23 to 16. And uh, I, I think the defense will make you nervous enough. And maybe it's a late score for Illinois. I don't know. But I, I get the feeling with this Iowa team that when you play an entire season putting that much pressure on one unit, I feel like eventually a dam is going to break. And when I looked at this Iowa schedule and they're 8-2, and two, somehow they're 8-2. and two, Of course they are. But what offenses have they played? I mean, Penn State was the one team that actually smoked them. But I'm going back over their schedule, and let me see if I can get this up here, Harry. I apologize. Um, God, Utah State, Iowa State, uh, Western Michigan, Michigan well, State. Way, what the hell is going on in in, in Ames with Matt Campbell? He, you should have probably jumped ship before, oh, absolutely. Uh, before Iowa State returns to the norm. Harry, at, at their peak, Purdue still put up 350 yards 
against Iowa. Uh, I mean, Rutgers was a paltry 129. Yeah. Northwestern and Iowa each gained 170 yards in that barn burner. Uh, Minnesota, even Minnesota had, granted, only 240 yards, but they had a good split between passing and running. Now, I don't know the Caden Fagan situation. We'll know more tomorrow. Um, I think Reggie Love is running pretty well, though, behind that line. And I just think there's enough signs offensively pointing to a surprising, how the hell did we just score 23 points in Iowa? The Cooper DeGene thing, that changed my prediction. I would have predicted like 17-16 Illinois because I was still bullish. But I do think that there will be opportunities for you to score. Um, and I, I just get the sense the damn breaks here for Iowa. And and here's the thing about home crowds, Harry. We see it at Memorial Stadium more than I'm sure Iowa does. But for as good of a football program as that is, as good as they've been at home in November, this is a fan base that feels like they have had the injury bug and something, a hex kind of against them this year. They have not caught any breaks with the injury bug. And if things start to go south for them, that's where home field is not always an advantage. And I, I just see it playing out like that for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I could, I mean, I could hopefully see a situation, um, where this game kind of turns into, say, uh, to go back to 2014 again. I mean, we played Penn State at home. Now, this one was at home. This one will be on the road. But similar situations. You're bringing in a backup quarterback who's kind of been lighting a fire under uh, under the team towards the end of the season. Penn State, I think, had the second-best defense in the Big Ten that year. They were one of the best defenses that you had gone up against, probably the best defense you had gone up against that entire season. And you're that's what you're going up against right now. And I, I think it it might be a situation where if you're able to keep this game close, where if it's halftime and I was up seven to three, or if you're tied at seven seven, then that's where the that's where the whispers start to come in at you know in the crowd where it's Oh my God! This is this is Illinois. We're playing. We're supposed to be the 16th ranked team. I know we might be a little, uh, you know, that rating might be a little inflated. By the way, you like how I'm giving these these uh, Iowa fans just like you know my thoughts, but it's coming from them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I I think that's a situation where if you let a team hang around, you, you always see it where it's like, geez, you know, the Chiefs are playing. I don't know. Insert team name here. The um, the the Broncos. And it's Jesus, you know, it's a one-score game. Why are you letting them hang around? And then you see the team, the uh, the bad team, able to. No, actually, perfect example: Broncos Bills the other day. Why the hell were the Bills letting the Broncos hang around? And then what happens when you let bad teams hang around? They're one play away from beating you, and that's what happened. And if you are an Iowa fan and you're seeing Illinois, who's kind of on a little bit of a heater right now, you know, two improbable wins in the last two weeks just improbable on how they they shaped up and you're looking and saying god this game is close too you start to think god you know is this going to happen to us too and um and when you can feel that energy and it's palpable when when the home crowd is starting to murmur you can feel it um yeah that's where that's where it's almost a home field disadvantage yeah i just feel like they've labored to this eight and two start now they were very impressive in the second half against Rutgers, and maybe that's the carryover effect and my prediction is just absolutely silly and also i want to clarify my prediction does not mean that illinois is good <laughs> i think we might end this year not knowing if illinois was really any good but the key is simply this making a bowl game so this goes to the last question one will we make a bowl game and two what is the final record after 
if there is a bowl game, what is the final record for this team? I think we make a bowl game. Uh, what I'm basing that on is I think that regardless of what happens this week with um, with Illinois, I think you're going to go into a situation at the end of the year where you have you know you have one of two realistic options. One, you're fighting for your life against a team that you have destroyed the last couple of years, where you need to get a win in or able to uh, in order to get a bowl game. To add on top of that, if you are in that situation, and if Northwestern loses to Purdue this week, which could happen, Northwestern, as good as they've been, as you know, in relation to what we thought they were going to be, they're still Northwestern. They still have the ability to put a stinker out there. If you're able to make them miss out on a bowl game, and you get to go to a bowl game, that's where you see guys come out, and that's that's where college football is at its most beautiful because that's where you're able to go out there and say. You know, we are going to impose our will on them and we're going to keep them from having an offseason. Um, I think, well, I already gave our, our my prediction for what's going to happen this week. I think you lose this week. I think you beat Northwestern by whatever it is, 20 or 30, because that's what you're apt to do, apparently, under, you know, Brett Bielema. And with that in mind, I, this, like I said, this team's a little bit different than teams in the past where they're able to win those games late. And when you have that, when you have that attribute about you, it kind of, you know, it tends to bode well for teams in the postseason. So I think if you do get to six and six, I think you get to seven and six with a win in like a a Las Vegas bowl or a, or a pinstripe bowl, you know, or a or a um, I don't even know what else like a, a little Caesars bowl, whatever it might be. I think that I think you lose this week, beat Northwestern and win your bowl game. I think that that might be the most likely outcome. Um, well, I say likely. Here's the thing: seven and six. However, they would get there. That's a win. Yeah, that's big. Uh, six and seven. We know doesn't feel as good, though. You would get a postseason and just lose a bowl game, which there are greater crimes than losing a bowl game. But I think you're onto something with the bowl game, Harry, about the way this team wins and the weirdness of bowl games. And considering the fact that the only guy on offense, I guess maybe a Julian Pearl or Isaiah Adams would consider it as well, and that be a that be a big detriment if they sat out the bowl game but Isaiah Williams would be another one but you would still have your quarterback you'd have both your running backs and Fagan and Love you'd have Bryant and Washington and Ashton like you'd have enough to score some points you'd lose Johnny Newton but you'd have the rest of them I hate that we have to consider this for bowl games but I understand it Um, but I do think that um, there is a distinct possibility that they can win these next two games and I actually have to agree a little bit with the Northwestern point because, understandably, people are nervous because Northwestern is getting plucky. Like Indiana, they're getting plucky. Where the hell is this coming from? They don't suck anymore. Well, yes, that was an impressive win at Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's in some weird tailspin. I don't know what the hell's going on with that. And I do think that sometimes these matchups, they just kind of get one-sided for a prolonged period of time, and it'd be difficult for me to imagine when push comes to shove, whether you're six and five or five and six, that you would go into that Northwestern game not bringing it. Because I will give Bielema credit. Those two Northwestern games, we have come out to absolutely murder them. Well, I remember. I remember the the 2021 game. I remember exactly where I was. I was uh, I was at the gym and I was listening to it on my phone. 
um, and also watching the the stats and the drive updates on the ESPN app. Because, you know, I, I forget what it was. I forget what my shift was, but I needed to get to the gym beforehand and I wasn't going to watch, you know, Illinois play if we were, you know, we weren't playing for anything. We are playing for uh, we are playing for pride at that point. We weren't going to be able to get to a bowl game. But just watching, listening to the game, looking at the stats and then kind of following along with the highlights afterwards, I remember texting, uh, I think it was you and Trevor, and just saying like, Guys, this is impressive. This is probably the that was the most encouraged I was in a game um, that didn't really mean a lot in a while because it, it kind of gave you an inkling of okay, you know, the, he's doing what you should do. You know, you, you had the games earlier in the season. You had Minnesota. You had Penn State. Those were great. Those were great upsets that didn't you didn't see coming. We have always talked about how you should beat Northwestern by thirty, and even a a very average to bad Illinois team should be able to do that. And that's exactly what they did two years ago. And that's exactly what they did last year. So I think if you get into that situation, you see it in college football all the time. It's not the NFL where seeing the giants lose to the Cowboys six times in a row is crazy. How does a team lose that many times in a row? I mean, hell Virginia beat or Virginia tech beat Virginia like 20 times in a row. Minnesota lost to Wisconsin like 15 times in a row. These teams play every year, and no one really thinks that's a crazy streak. Uh, you know, you get to the crazy streaks when it's Kentucky, Florida going on 30 years. But in college, it, it happens because because certain programs get into ruts and certain programs take off. And if you're in a situation where you're Illinois and you're winning these games against Northwestern by 30 every year, you should feel like, yeah, they might be good. Yeah, we might be down from where we were last year. But if you're able to win a game against an overachieving Northwestern team and you're an underachieving Illini team, which I think I think right now you would say that's probably the case based on what we were doing last year. I love where we're at, you know, in accordance to where we were a month ago, but in a whole, it's an underachievement. If you're able to still win a game against Northwestern by like 20 or 30 points in that situation, that's where you just say, man, we don't have to worry about this team for the next couple of years. Wouldn't that be nice? Harry, uh, I think we'll probably have some interesting stuff to talk about next week regardless, because whether you're five and six or six and five, this is a big game this weekend that will teach us a little bit about truly where this team is at, because I don't know how good your previous opponents have really been, (laughs) though I don't really know how good Iowa is other than we know two facets of their team are really good, and then the other one is pretty bad. But when we talk next Wednesday, well, actually, what's your Thanksgiving plans? Are you heading home? No, I'm not able to head home. Uh, my my parents are going out to uh, to New Mexico to visit my sister in college. So I'm uh, I was planning on doing a a little stay at home thing where you know you kind of scale everything down. I'm not going to make a turkey. I'm going to make a chicken. I'm just gonna make like a big pan of like cornbread. I'm gonna make like a skillet. So Excellent. yeah, yeah, I love to cook. So yeah, looking forward to to all the Thanksgiving foods. Well, sounds good. I'm sure we'll be texting Saturday, and uh, we both know that if they somehow got a win, I don't care how bad Iowa's offense is, that would be massive. Let's root for an Illinois win, a Wisconsin win, a Northwestern win, and a Minnesota win. Because that might lead us to an Illinois Northwestern Lincoln hat battle for the Big Ten West. How about that? <laughs> in front Incredible. of like 10,000 <laughs> in Memorial Stadium. Could you imagine? I mean, it, the funny thing is, it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> Let's just root for it. What the hell? Harry, we'll uh, take care, bud. We'll talk next week. All right.
All right, that's Harry Black joining us here on the 200 level, and we're going to sign out here and get ready for a big weekend ahead. So before we get out of here, reminder, the 200 level brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life Auto Home, Business Renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. And finally, Owen Builders online at owenbuildersllc.com. Patios, decks, home additions as well. Check out the gallery online at owenbuildersllc.com. For Champagne Showers Podcast Network and uh, for you, the listener, we appreciate you tuning in. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff wherever you listen or watch us. And we will talk soon. I will have my equipment in Michigan just in case something happens on Saturday and we got to do an emergency podcast. Wouldn't that be nice? Take care, everybody, and see you soon. It is the 200 level. Level.